Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. We're continuing where we left off. Uh, it is 5-16-2021, and we are continuing with the thought of the week and prayer. Thought of the week. One, someone asked me a hypothetical question. I'm not usually willing to play along, but this time I did. The question, if you had the choice to live at any time you wanted, past, present, or future, what time period would you choose? I thought about two possibilities. First, the time of Jesus. Oh, to see the Lord of glory walking into the streets of Israel to witness the miracles, signs, and wonders he performed. To hear his wisdom and heavenly perspective will be absolutely joy. What a unique time for those who have the wit of seeing our Lord, my Savior, the creator of all things. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then to see him ascend and to zealously wait for the coming of the spirit of truth. Wow. Tempting. But maybe I wouldn't. I have known him at all. Maybe I like to be like disciples, unable to appreciate who he really was when he was here. Well, then the second thought. For the future, I see enough futuristic moves where technology was advanced with flying cars and the latest gadgets, which I love. I'll not spend too much time here because none of us knows what might happen in the future. But it is an interesting thought. None of those times will work for me. I would not choose any other time, what has already been chosen for me? I'm here now, and there is no second guessing his wisdom. Lord, this will be the time and place you need me to see the battlefield. I am here. Thank you, Father. Well, I know with me personally, I'm here. Like the scripture said, I'm here now. This is the time that the Lord has planned for me to be here. Not the time in Israel, not the time in the future, but now I'm in the church. So, like you said, it's a hypothetical question. And I'm, I did play, but I'll be, the time is now, so I'm here. So that was the thought I could have the thought of the week. So now, it's time for prayer. Do anyone have any special prayer requests? Yeah, Dave. Just pray for those who, those families who have lost loved ones who are grieving at this hour. Okay. And also, I'd like to have a special prayer for my, uh, one of my friends uh, talked to him yesterday. His mother's in a hospital. And he was telling me she's not doing too good, but it can be expected that she's getting up age. His name is Michael Jones. I don't know his mother's name. So the Lord knows everything. So yes. keep it in prayer for him also. At this time, anyone else had any special prayer requests? If not, let's take it to the throne of grace. 
Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, at this time, Lord, to look at our wants, our thoughts, our prayers. We give them to you, Lord. And we ask you, Lord, to look over us, Father, as a church, Father, providers, the gratification that you desire for us to have. Father, we pray also, Father, as we continue to go through our studies in the Word, Father, that you were able to allow the Spirit to teach us all wisdom and guidance that you want us to know, Father. Father, we're so glad, Father, for this day you've given us, Father, that we appreciate you, Lord. So, Father, we give you thanks, Father, for visions, Father, so you would see us through. So, Father, as we continue to grow in grace and in another, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask him from out of the spirit of truth to teach us all wisdom. And for his name's sake only, we ask spirit, We ask for this and all the blessings in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. We appreciate that. Uh, we are going to continue where we left off. Uh, it is uh, John sixteen twelve. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. In your notes, speaking of the disciples, they did not know it, but they were at the beginning of a brand new age soon to come. This age was not one that the disciples could have seen coming because it was hidden in God. The disciples had to know that they, they were at the beginning of something large, the progression of the plan of God. It's one thing to read about the miraculous changes in the Bible, but to be a part of that change as it is literally happening must have been just been unspeakable joy. As God's plan moves forward, you too should know that your life has immense meaning and purpose. Quote, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. So we have... Uh, one of those scriptures uh, there that I probably have quoted several times, which means it is one of my favorite scriptures for this world. What we have to do, stand firm. In any case, so we're, we're right at John 16, 12. I have, we're going to get right into it. it. Looks like It looks like we got a lot to cover. Maybe not. It's just one small verse, but just a few points here. But let's dig in. I have much more to say to you. So after detailing the Holy Spirit's ministry to the world, which is, was soon to come as well, Jesus turns his attention to the disciples and also, quote, for those who will believe in me through their message. That's John 17, 20. So we know we're a part of this. Even though Jesus is talking to the disciples, as we get to John 17, 20, and we will get there at some point, we will see that it is not only to the disciples, but it is to us also who believe in me through their message. Well, that would mean Pentecost, post-Pentecost, and that's us. So we should know, you know, as these words are being spoken, they should have very 
important implications for us who are here now because it gives us the direction the disciples received in preparation of this new age. So let's move in uh, to point B. Much more, it says, I have much more to say to you. So the much more would indicate that Jesus had only shared a small, a small portion of information he needed to share. Now, it just reminds me of a couple things. When you think about if somebody said they have, let's say they've given you some money and you said, okay, I got that. Uh, but uh, then they said, but I got much more to give to you. You would say, really? Much more? Okay, I'm ready. So we're thinking in terms of money, of course, but that sort of perks everybody up. If you were sleeping, you probably woke up and said, money? <laughs> well, much more should wake you up. If it's wisdom and knowledge and new information, and he's telling us he's got much more to tell us, I think that's significant in our attention. Right? We should pay attention to this more so. So just notice, so he, he's saying, I got much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. So in other words, I'm not going to tell you this much more information right now, even though he has more to tell him in this discourse. So we have the rest of John 16 that he keeps talking. And in all, all through John 17, he, he's praying to the Father. Really, his discourse is over at the end of 16. But in 17, what we learn is in his prayer to the Father, there's so much mention that also looks uh, not only uh, forward about who, we, who and what we are, but it speaks of what God is doing in this age. So it is very important, I'd say, to hear the perspective of Jesus praying to his Father. And that's what we get in John 17, which is rewarding. And we will be glued to each phrase, each word that uh, Jesus talks about when, when we get there. So he got much more to say even, well, we got the rest of 16. But then the much more information that he's talking about is coming. And it's coming just as Pentecost unfolds and, and there is a lot of, uh, you know, miracles, signs and wonders to let people know that this is God's direction. And sure enough, this is the way God's going. So just, just for Jesus to say much more means he's only given them a small portion. It reminds me of just like it says, we've received a deposit, the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is yet to come, what our inheritance is. So if we got a small portion, the, the deposit is a small portion. It is not the whole of, of it. It is it is not even half of it. It is a small portion of it, but the, the bounty or the fullness of it is to come later. Same thing here, but the later happens pretty quick here. In this case, it's at Pentecost. So just stay tuned. Point C. Even the information he will continue to give is small in proportion to what was coming when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, comes. So 
and I sort of already covered this thought, is, yeah, he's going to continue talking as he tells us. I have much more to tell you. And he, But he's still telling us information. Like, we didn't get to the place where he's talking about, oh, you know, uh, what the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, when he would come, what his work would be. And we can talk about that, you know, from the standpoint of John um, 16, where he says, he says, uh, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is for me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from what he will make from me, what he will make known to you. <clears throat> so these verses tell a lot and we will spend some time talking about them in the next weeks but we would just want to be sure that yeah that's a lot of information about the spirit but notice it is information that is still spoken of as uh, uh, in relation to the much more that's coming so it's still a small portion of information as we think about what is coming so that is a lot, right? It's new. The ministries of the Spirit here that we're speaking of never happened before. They were unprecedented. It goes without saying that the ministries of the Spirit, as he's facing the world, you know, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, well, the Holy Spirit has been convicting the world since the beginning. But we have to note that now something has changed. Jesus Christ has come. He did the work necessary to reconcile all mankind. And, it, you know, whether they were before the cross or whether they will be after the cross, he did all the work necessary. He died. He was raised from the dead. And he's at the right hand of God, glorified now. And he sends the Holy Spirit. So now there's more information. Right? He came. He did it. Right? He, he, it's like if somebody wrote you a check. And you say, okay, I got a check. I got this check. Well, and if you just held on to the check, then you better be careful about holding on to checks because they will tell you after so many days, the check is no longer valid. In other words, a person can't just hold on to it forever. But it's like somebody, God wrote you a check, said you're saved, right? You have eternal life. And it's based on the Savior who is to come. And so you hold on to that check because you got it. God gave it to you. But then, you know, when you cash the check, it's later. But what makes that check good is God. So you could say, well, in our analogy, well, if the person has money in the bank, that's when we know the check is good. Right? <laughs> well, Christ is what makes the check good. Christ is upon the person who is, who is uh, given here whereby we must be saved, right? He's the one who actually has to do the work of salvation. So he came, he did that work. So now we could say, it's not just a promissory note, it is literally that Christ, it, it, the, the note says that the Christ has come and has paid the price. So literally, it is valid. Now, it was already valid because the check was based on God, as I said before. But 
if God gives you a promise, you can bet that it is certainly true. So it's no longer even a promise if God already came or sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, and Christ came. It's no longer a promise. It's literally fact now, because it's the reality that you can have eternal life. Not by promise, but literally. God gives it to you. Right? He imputes it to you. And that's that's the whole point of this. You know, the Holy Spirit is coming, and he he's has new information, because Christ came and did all the work, and is glorified, and sent him now. So there's two things that he has to deal with. He's dealing with the world, making sure they come to the knowledge of truth. And then he has to deal with the church, which is a new entity, a new age and all that. Right. So that's important. So point D, going back to our notes. So I would imagine um, a statement like this would cause the disciples to lean forward to hear every word of Christ knowing he was to depart soon. And these are just things to think about as, as I write. What I mean is, if I were there, I and Christ said this, he said, I got much more to tell you, much more to say to you. I, and he has already told them a lot. You would think, and if you go back and we've been studying what he's already said for, I don't know, since October of two thousand. And 19, I believe it was. We've been studying all through chapter 14, 15, to get to this level of where we are in 16. We've been studying that long. Uh, and so I would say, yeah, this is uh, a lot he's already said. But just imagine, he has got much more to tell us. So if he's given us this information, this level of information about what we should expect in the future and the the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how it all works out, then we should be really hanging on his every word. This these are his closing thoughts. You know, his dying words. He's telling the disciples, I would think they would pay very close attention. But as it was, none of the disciples worked through this. Right? They all, when he died, uh, it, it, their hopes were dashed. Right? They hit rock bottom. Uh, they, they hit the panic button. They were frightened. All the things. But one thing, they did stay together. They didn't depart and go back to their homes and try to blend in with the rest of the people and just say, forget it, we were wrong, I'm embarrassed. They, they said, wait a minute, what, what are we going to do? And as they were there pondering it for a couple days, that's when Christ was resurrected on the third day. So it, 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 the story unfolds for us, but we should know as we're reading this, retrospectively, that the disciples probably were hanging on every word. It's just that the emotions and the sting of death was hard for them to overcome. So, but it, I, I, I'd like to imagine that I would be there, and this is what prompted the thought of the week. It was like, wow, could I, I would love to have seen Jesus and walked around with him, but 
that wasn't God didn't choose that for me. He so, but as I read it, I my heart leaps with expectation and thought. Right? So let's move forward. Point E: Are you leaning forward to hear this new revelation? I hope so. If and I say, if not, why not? Why aren't you excited about it? Now, of course, I know all of us here are. But I'm speaking to more people than are here. I recognize that uh, who, whoever is out there may be listening and maybe they have a different perspective. But if you're not excited about what God is saying here, if you think it's just more of the same, right, then you may miss something here in the Word. You may have missed something that is fantastic, something that is out of this world. Jesus has been introducing the disciples to this. And here he says, yeah, I got much more to say to you. So I would say we should be leaning forward. That's what we should be doing. And point F says the much more revelation, which is coming soon, also uh, comes with another feature. This is something we didn't have previous to this. And that is, Quote, he will guide you into all truth. This is another thing that we can expect God the Holy Spirit to do when he comes. He will guide us into all truth. Now, not only does he, he's, he exposes us to what this all truth is. In other words, Christ is able to speak through the Holy Spirit. Because remember, the Holy Spirit takes from what is mine, Christ says. In other words, from the information Christ has, this much more to tell you. The Holy Spirit picks up the ball and says, okay, I will now, uh, whatever Christ says, that's what I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to go beyond what Christ says. I'm going to tell you exactly what he says, and I'm going to make it known to you. But he doesn't just make it known to us. That There's more to that in his, this ministry that is revealed. He will guide you into all truth. There is empowerment there, direction, right? We have a leader in God, the Holy Spirit, just like Christ was a leader. As he walked the, you know, with the disciples, he didn't just say, well, where do you guys want to go next? Christ knew where he was going next. He was the one leading. They were the ones following. And so in the same way, he continues to lead, but through the person of the Holy Spirit now. He's leading and guiding the church. The church is to be following the leadership, headship of Christ in the world. So he's, he's supposed to uh, make known to us what Christ, the, he expose us to this truth, this much more truth, and then empower us, lead and guide us into walking in that truth for ourselves. So notice we don't have to blaze the trail. The trail has already been blazed. God, the Holy Spirit, walks before us. He's the one who we're following, but he's following Christ. It's like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? That's very similar to what we're seeing here with God, the Holy Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit. He's leading the way, and you are still following the leading of Christ. Point G. Um, actually... Uh, yeah, that was John sixteen thirteen. So point G, the much more information is direct uh, is what directly relates to our lives 
and should be our focus. Quote, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is 2 Corinthians 5.10. So what we should know from point G is that not only does this change everything for us, this is our life. This information is about us. It's about what God has made of us, what his plan was, which was hidden before uh, no one knew it. No one understood this information, not angels, not man prior to this. This is hid in God, this information. So this life that it reveals, the persons that it reveals, the plan that it reveals, the age that it reveals, we can go on with all the different things that it reveals, was all not seen prior to this time. So the much more to say to you will detail, explain, articulate all of those things. And not, as we said, not only articulate them, but the Holy Spirit will lead and guide us as we uh, traverse through those things. Right? We're not to fend for ourselves. And man, this ground is, how are we going to go and talk about things to the world or to us that have never before been seen? Well, God, the Holy Spirit gives us the leadership and the guidance and, you know, the articulation of how to do that. He guides us through it. So notice, once it's all said and done, then we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And as we talked about last week about judgment, we understand that that judgment is not to determine whether we will be saved or lost. That judgment is to determine whether or not we will be rewarded for our, the things done while in the body. So God will judge believers, but not, as we said, through those, uh, you know, judgment to determine if we're lost or saved or lost. We're already saved. Why does he need to conduct it? He's the one that saved us. <laughs> why, why does he need to sit down and determine whether or not we're going to be saved? That doesn't even make sense. So God already saved us. So it's not about salvation. It's about our works. And God will surely purge out. We will not go into eternity with misconceptions or, uh, you know, things that we think, uh, oh, God, you should, uh, you know, I worked hard and I should be rewarded. Well, all that will be reconciled. And that which is not motivated by the Holy Spirit, that which is done not by guiding, the, the guiding and leading of the Holy Spirit according to the new truth that is coming will be discarded and that that is so okay so point eight surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace which was given to me for you that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly that's Ephesians 2 uh, 3 2 and 3 so when I read that hopefully you have heard about it because this is your life. This is the new life that God has planned for us. And he's laid it out. I mean, you might just say the Mosaic law, right? That was huge for the nation, Israel. I mean, this law wasn't just the Ten Commandments. It was how God is governing this nation, how he's going to uh, cause this nation to be his peculiar nation, his special nation, 
in the world, what, what they will need to do, how they will respond. It was about their life. And as this information unfolds, we don't go back to what was the life of Israel. They were of this world. We are not, as we get to John 17, of this world. And uh, when, we, when we think about that, this information is our life. The way Israel was supposed to cling to the law and as a way of life, not as a way of salvation, but as a way of life, is the same way we are to cling to these new doctrines, perspectives that are said about us in the epistles. And these things are our lives. This is how we live in the world today. This is it's not how we get saved. Right? We're rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not how we get saved. That's already determined the moment. We believe, we put our faith, our trust in Christ. That's done. This is about our life. And that judgment will determine whether or not we should receive a reward. But know that this is important information. It is vital that every believer grasp this information. If we don't, then sure, we will not show up at the judgment seat of Christ and receive rewards for the things done well in the body. If we're focused on Israel, if we're focused on our own agenda, never mind Israel, because lots of people say, okay, I'm not going to be an Israelite. I got that. But some people say, well, you know what? It's all about me. It's my agenda here. Whatever I think is important. Well, I'll determine what glorifies you, God. I'll live a life that I think is worthy of you, and then you will just have to take it. No. That's not going to happen. God is going to be the one who is the judge. He's the one sitting, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one sitting on the throne. It is his criteria upon which we are judged. So point I, and this is the last point in this section. It seems today many don't see the much more revelation Jesus referred to. For them, it is just more the same. But this information quote, was not made to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. That's Ephesians 3, 5. So, yeah, the, never before seen. Revelation that is about us. I mean, imagine if everybody said, hey, I'm going to look at this revelation because this is about me. I think we'd have a different church, unfortunately. That's not how things are going on in the world. People have neglected and discarded. They have allowed other things to distract them when it comes to what God has revealed for them. I have to know that the enemy is somehow involved in that. Yeah, this is most important. It was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. That's Ephesians 3.5. So let's move forward. We got our second half of the verse. So I have much more to say to you in here in point two, more than you can now bear. And we're closing in on this here. So bear, the word bear is bastadizo. And it means, and here it is, to take up with the hands. 
right, to take up in order to carry or bear, to put upon oneself, right, to bear what was burdensome or bear, to bear or carry, to carry on one's person, to sustain, uphold, support, to bear away or carry off. All this, these definitions come from there. And um, we should know that it is says that we cannot bear, right? We are not able to bear. And all of those things are in the negative uh, standpoint because of the word that is saying we cannot bear. And now, even though NIV smoothed it out and says more than you can now bear, but literally the word says that we are not able to bear. So what is it then? Let's move into point B as we've learned the definition there. Point B is, hmm, <laughs> my, my way of saying, let's think about this. Hmm, as students of Christ, what could be more than you can now bear? And now these people that we call the disciples have been walking around with Jesus for three and a half years. They understand who Jesus is. Uh, they have confessed. Right? There, there was one in the crowd and the, and the bunch of the 12 of them who did not believe. His, it was Judas Iscariot. And he is excluded at this point. He's gone. <clears throat> so Jesus is talking to the disciples who are all believers at this point, as far as we know. We don't see any reason to think that none of them are unbelievers. But, and yet, there's more information available, more than they can now bear. Well, he's already told them some things that are beyond their scope of theology, which they could go back to all of their theology books, and it wouldn't be in there. He's already told them things like that. But now he's telling them there's much more to tell them. And more than they can hold, handle, carry, handle. Uh, bear up under, right? They can't lift it, right? It's too much to carry off. It's just, they wouldn't be able to. They wouldn't have enough sufficient energy if we literally look at the analogy. It's like somebody told you, if you, if they just kept putting uh, weights on you, uh, just putting weights on, putting weights on, and you said, wow, I, I could barely be under the, all these weights. And then they say, okay, so now you got to go 10 miles. You got to walk 10 miles with all that weight. Well, you can't even walk 10 steps with all that weight, let alone walk 10 miles. So there's just way more weight than you could possibly bear. And that's what is happening with the disciples. If they tried, they would fall and falter under the pressure of um, what the, the weight was. They would not be able to stand it. They would just collapse under the weight of all the pressure. And what, what do we mean? What do we mean when we say that? It's because obviously this is by analogy, right? So point C, there are some reasons the disciples could not, and this is handle the truth. And this is because uh, that's what we're referring to here. We're not just referring to weight, we're referring to information. Much more to say to you. He's already said a lot, but he got much more. And the lot, the, the amount that he has said, as we think about it, is a lot there. Right? He's leaving them, uh, you know, 
He talks about the Father, the way to the Father. He talks about the ministry that he has, the dynamics of his spiritual life. He talks about the how not only is that so, but this spiritual life will be in you. Christ will be in you when the Holy Spirit comes and so forth. The Holy Spirit is coming. He introduces the Holy Spirit. Oh, there's so much he's already introduced. But now, if he continued to unload on them more, they would not be able to handle it. And there's some reasons why. So, and that you can't handle the truth. That that comes from that movie, uh, A Few Good Men, where those two actors went back and forth. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Well, <laughs> well, this is, you know, imagine Peter jumping up and saying, but I want to know now. And Jesus says, you can't bear it now. It's the same type of thing. You can't, you wouldn't be able to handle it now. But you will later. Point C says there's reasons for that. So we're going to get into some of those reasons. And I'll think of three things here. The first, who they are. This is the reason why they can't bear it. Why they can't, they are not equipped to be able to bear it. It's who they are. Essentially, they were Jews. And they were Jews born and raised. In other words, born, they were born with the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were born into Jewish families and raised with the culture of Judaism. This is who they are. Right? There's no way that people would see them otherwise. They don't see themselves as otherwise. And uh, so it's important that they be what they were because in the age they lived in, that was. And that was the reality. But they were getting ready to enter a new reality here with the church coming, with the Holy Spirit coming. So uh, so they were born and raised. And so I give Acts 10, 1 through 20 as a text to kind of help us understand a little bit. Let's look at that real quick. We're, not gonna, we're gonna rush through it. There's a lot to read there. I'm not gonna focus on every word, but just the gist of what is being said. As, there's a point here that I think people don't realize that I'll try to, to bring out. So. Acts chapter 10, 1. Now notice the story. Most people focus in on Peter and his vision, and this starts in verse 9. But what we want to focus on is how God worked with Cornelius as well. And, and these are Gentiles, by the way. And so we just want to see uh, not just how God worked with Peter and said, Peter, rise, kill and eat, right? We'll get to that point. But um, we want to see what God did in Cornelius' house. Let's look at it. Acts 10.1. At, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Verse 5. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. 
he is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him had gone, when the angel who, who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So here you have the part that people leave out when it, when it comes to Cornelius and his household. These were believing Gentiles, as you can see. God not only prepared Peter, but he prepared these Gentiles as well. Just like we talked about, I think, on Wednesdays, God didn't just prepare Abraham to have a son. He had to prepare Sarah because that was who the son was uh, going to be born of, Sarah, not just Abraham. Right? So God had to prepare Abraham. He had to choose Abraham and Sarah, not just Abraham. Not only did God choose Peter here to reveal this vision to, he also chose Cornelius and his household to be a part of the revelation of what happened by the coming of the Spirit in a new way. So, so then we get to Peter's portion of it, uh, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city. Now, who's they? These are the people, Cornelius, this is uh, the, the ones he sent, right? Uh, where he told them to go. Right, uh, two of his servants, the devout soldier, and one with and one of his attendants. Right, they were nearing. Right, this is what it says in verse nine. About noon, uh, the following day, as I guess it was about a day's journey, uh, where they were their journey approaching the city, and we're talking Joppa. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. This is Peter's response. Surely not. Not, not just... You know, I'm not really that. This is what I usually say. <laughs> I'm giving away my secrets. When when people tell me, oh, let's have some whatever, you fill in the blank, food. Uh, and here it is. I'll give you some. And my response is, I'm not really that hungry right now. Really, I'm not hungry for that. But I'm not. That's what I usually say. I, I, hopefully you won't remember that and be insulted if I say it to you. But anyway, um, Peter was like, no. Imagine if somebody asks you something that's sort of disrespectful to, you know, to, hell, you eat that? Oh, terrible. It's kind of disrespectful to them. They, yeah, they eat that. They're offering it to you. So, but anyway, so Peter says, surely not, Lord. And again, Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. So here you have Peter, who culturally is raised as a Jew. This is where he came from. This is what I meant in the first point. This is where he comes from. I mean, would we expect Peter to say anything different? I mean, just imagine, Peter has already gone through everything that Christ had told him. 
about, you know, the God, you know, being in him and Christ and the Father coming to live in him, the dynamics of the spiritual life, all of that. He, he, Christ leaving, the Holy Spirit coming. He, he's aware of all this, but he still is a creature of habit here. He says, no, I'm not going to eat that. No, I've, I've never eaten anything impure that God has. Uh, no way. So, so, so then the voice says, the voice spoke to him a second time. Right? This is, do not call. This is what God tells him. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This is verse 15. So this is the work of God where he has torn down the barrier of opposition that was against us. That's the law and his commandments and regulations and all that. God has abolished that for the church. We're not under the law. And so God is saying, no, Jews and Gentiles are in one body and they are clean. You don't have to worry. This is literally what he's telling Peter. So this is verse 16. This happened three times. And immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. So each time the sheep came down, Peter was like, oh, no, I'm not eating that. No way. Uh-uh. I never eat. I would never eat such things. And God says, don't call what I'm telling you impure or unclean. Then the sheep is taken up to heaven. And then Peter is still in the trance or vision and it comes down again. And the same thing. Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Peter was like, no way, Lord, would I do that. Why would I do that? Right. So then same thing happened again. She goes up, she comes down. All these unclean animals, reptiles and birds are on it. And he says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So Peter says it a third time. So this is verse 16. This happened three times. And immediately the sheep was taken back up to heaven. So while Peter sitting here, I says three times now, Peter sitting here wondering about the meaning of the vision. Like, <laughs> like what does this mean? Why would God tell me? Who I'm a Jew, I'm raised a Jew. I know what his desires are. When he does, he wants me to rise, kill, and eat. Interesting. What does this mean? He's pondering this, and he's wondering about it. What happens? The men sent by Cornelius found out where Peter's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon Peter, who was known as Peter, if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to them, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? In other words, I still don't know what's going on exactly, but I do know what the instruction is. I've seen the vision. I've done all that. Why have you come? We're going to stop there because it can go further. But just to note, uh, this is where we are in our text. And point The first point, C1, is they were essentially Jews, right? So more than they could bear. They couldn't handle it. They would have fragmented. They would have said, oh, you're asking us to do things that are evil. And... We, but you know, in the church, God has torn down the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility that was between us. He has made one new man out of the two. 
and thus making peace. So this is Ephesians chapter 2, if you'd like to read those verses. There, there you will find it. But anyway, so we're going to move on in our notes, right? So point two, the revelation itself, right? This is, these are reasons why they could not handle the truth. So that's one is who they are. The second one is the revelation itself. It was, and here's the quote, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. So that's 1 Corinthians 2.9. So we should know that this is information that is, we should say, out of this world. That's all we could say. It is what no eye has. If it's what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and it has not entered into the thoughts, it's not even able to be conceived by man. And literally, it's because man does not have such capabilities. I mean, obviously that changes over time, but when God writes such things, He's this kind of spans time, so man can never do the things that are said of him here. This God is revealing things that could never have been found out by man or conceived or understood by man. So this is something of great interest to me because I'm in, I mean, God has me. He got my attention. If he's telling me these things that I'm revealing to you are out of this world, they're not even human. Well, they're of God, things about God. God is not a human being. The, the thoughts and purposes of God, they're not something that we can imagine what it is. So, point three, it goes along with the second point. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. There you have it. Right? If, you, if you didn't know that Jesus said, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But here we have a scripture that perfectly fits like a hand in a glove, right? If you said, well, what is this information? Well, it's what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So God did not tell us the deep things of God prior to this information being revealed. That's how you have to know. Like when God says he's going to, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to lead and guide us into all truth. Well, we didn't have all truth prior to what God the Holy Spirit is adding in this age. Sure, we had truth in the Old Testament. Now, I'm not taking away the fact that we had truth. Yes, but we did not have all truth. And without this information, the revelation of God is not complete. It will not be complete until God adds what his uh, e eternal purpose is to what he has already said. And we have to mix that in to, and, and help. And in fact, we have to see everything in the light of what God is revealing in this age now. We would there was no way we could have known it. There was no way we could have figured it out. But we can now. We can understand things uh, in the Old Testament, we can uh, understand things in Revelation and, and other scriptures that talk about future better because now we know what the heart of God is.
These things God has revealed to us by his spirit. And, and, and then they are even called the deep things of God. So, so th those are limitations the disciples had. It's clear. I mean, they, they clearly had limitations. They could not bear or handle or carry this information. They, it, they just were not equipped to do so. Point D, and I know we're moving forward. We're going to close in now. They would be able, it says they could now bear, they would be able to bear this information later. Now, they can't bear it. But later, they would be able to. Right? They would be equipped with the spirit of truth. Now, if we look at John 14 and 26, I will just quickly read it, which you probably know. 14, what this is, but here's what he says. Jesus is introducing the Spirit. He has introduced them earlier. Uh, he called him the advocate, the comforter, right? Uh, back in, I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you. This is 15, 16 rather, 14, 16, the Spirit of Truth, verse 17. So now in verse 26, he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Now notice this. Some things, he will teach you all things. So we didn't know all things. Just like we were saying, I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. But he will teach you all things. And, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So in other words, not only will he help us remember what Jesus taught, in the, particularly in these verses, this discourse that John has recorded for us. But he will go beyond that. He will teach us all things. Wow, that's, we, we need to really be students of God the Holy Spirit when he is teaching, because he's teaching from the things that Christ will um, had to tell. And he didn't have an opportunity to tell, but the Holy Spirit would. And this is a better way, as well, because we can't all follow Christ around. But God, the Holy Spirit, is in every one of us. The, the ministries of the Spirit were indwelt by the Spirit, filled. Each person now, in this age, indwelt by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. We, we receive a gift of the Spirit. We are sealed by the means of the Spirit. Right? There's, um, And then there's... um. Each one of us, I, I think I did say gift, right? So we're indwelt, filled, sealed, right? Gifted, and baptized. Those five ministries are added to every single person who believes in Christ. They are not something you earn, right? These things happen to every single believer. So imagine that's the equipping that we need in order to bear this information, to handle this information. And yet, Jesus is saying, we will be, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Point E, we're moving forward. If we cannot see past religion, if we can't, right? and, and a lot of people are stuck, you know, the Jews were, right? They, remember we talked about what they couldn't bear? Part of it was because of their culture and their upbringing. Tradition, you could say, as well. Those things 
keep you, your feet firmly planted in those traditions, those religions. Right? When somebody says, hey, step over here, you say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We've never stepped over there. How can I, you mean step over there? What do you mean? No. Like Peter was like, no way can that happen. I'll never do that. So if, if we're stuck, if we can't see past religion, if we don't have the humility to allow God to teach us, then we cannot bear this information either. We're going we're gonna to reject it. If a person says to us, you know, believe that, you know, these things are true of us, what God has said, we would, what would we say? Well, just like it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we would say, the man who, without the Spirit, in other words, who rejects the Spirit, he cannot see, and it's foolishness to him. That's what, that's what it says, 1 Corinthians 2.15. Foolishness. Right? And the, well, actually, it's 2.14. 15 says, but the man who has the spirit, has the benefit of this information, is able to make judgments about all things. In other words, we, we understand God's eternal purpose in the light of all that he has revealed. So in this case, um, that's pointy. And don't think that can, this can't happen in this age where God, the Holy Spirit, has equipped people uh, he is indwelt, filled, you know, baptized, you know, gifted, sealed. All of those things have happened. And yet, people could still say, I want to go back to the old anxiety of re religion. I can't change. I'm stuck in the past. And they will not allow God to teach him. So that can be just as deleterious as what happened in the previous ages and to religious people. Point F. However, with God's provision, we can clearly bear this information, but only if we dare to have the humility to see it, believe it, suffer for it, trust it, and love it. That's, I mean, if it, it takes something, it, you have to have humility, right? It's just like salvation, right? If a person says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, a person has to put the matter of their soul salvation on to Christ. I mean, they have to say, yeah, he, he did understand. God did know what all my sins were going to be. He did pay for all my sins. He judged Christ for all my sins. We have to have the humility to allow God, to trust God, to suffer in this world because the world will, you know, will reject that idea. We have to come to trust it where the world thinks it's ridiculous and foolishness. And then we have to come to, more than that, we have to love it. And God the Holy Spirit helps us. He leads us in all of this. So Romans is a good verse to think about in this regard. I'll just read it. Romans uh, 3, uh, 5, rather. Romans chapter 5, 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given, who has been given to us. Notice the Holy Spirit again. He's the anchor of our 
spiritual life at this point. Now, obviously, it's the Lord, but it is the Holy Spirit who facilitates everything that we receive from the Lord. It is through God the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't want us to make an issue of him or to lift him up and say, well, praise be to the Holy Spirit. That would be the wrong way to think about it because we have a Lord, and the Lord is where the Holy Spirit is getting all this information. And God wants all the glory to be properly placed. And that is what we've got here in the plan. Right? And even when it comes to us, when we help somebody along the way, and they I'll praise you. It's like Paul said, don't pray. I'm not a God or anything. Listen, I'm just a servant. Right? I'm, I'm somebody who is helping. Uh, you praise God. Don't praise me. In the same way, God the Holy Spirit is not accepting praise from us. So we'll, we'll read about more about that later as we go on. So that was point F, right? So it says, however, God's provision was clear. We can clearly bear this information, but only if we dare to have the humility to see it, to believe it, to trust it, and to love it. Right? Point G, now that we have this mystery age upon us, it's here, we're in it, we're divinely and, and are divinely equipped. We have all this. Can we bear this much more information? Can we? Is the question. And and we have to say absolutely. We have to answer that by saying absolutely we can. And point H is just some scriptures that talk about the fact that God's plan does work. And, you know, you, you, I used to always say this, and, and I'll say it today again. If you understand this information, the information that we have, that we've been talking about at this church, if you understand it, if you know the message, then that is evidence that God the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Because there is no way you could know this information. It is beyond what we could see here or understand so the only way we did understand it the only way we do understand it is that god the holy spirit is is at work within us so the plan of god works it it definitely works it is no um you know we we say man why aren't people getting this information why are, are you know it seems like it's just like the isaiah complex Isaiah, Elijah complex, where he says, well, I'm the only one. Oh, not so. No, I'm, I'm sure God has more people that have allowed God the Holy Spirit to lead and guide them into this all truth, this much more information. So point H, these are some scriptures to answer that question as well. And it says simply, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Not, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and the God destined for our glory before time began. In the affirmative, we certainly can understand this information we certainly can can uh, grasp how high and deep and wide and long is the love of christ 
and to know this love that goes beyond knowing that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is Ephesians chapter 3. But I'm just quoting in my head some of the verses that I think complement the question, right? Can we, now that we are divinely equipped, can we bear this much more information? Can we handle it? Absolutely so. We speak it. God has destined this for our glory before time began. And then continuing in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 13, it says, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Now notice the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand the much more information, right? This is, I got much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, he's telling the disciples. But now, with the equipping that God has given us in this age, so, so that we may understand what God has freely given us, right? And this is what we speak, not in words uh, taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us are taught by the Spirit. And this is more in terms of the leadership. Not only does he expose us to it, but he articulates it and he allows us to be led into all truth. And his words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. And this is... Um, these verses complement exactly. If you say, well, well, Jesus, what are you talking about? If you go to 1 Corinthians 2, you see the conversation being picked up on the other side of Pentecost by God the Holy Spirit in such a definite and defining, descriptive way. So, I'm again, I feel... I'm at a point of expectation where God, I'm expecting to see more information as uh, Jesus reveals how the Spirit works in our life. What is He come to do? What's important? Uh, as we establish these principles in our own souls and spirits, these are things that God wants to build upon and, and to know more, more intimately as we continue in these verses. We'll continue with this context next week. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for the grace that has been given to us, this grace uh, which we were chosen in him before the creation of the world. So we thank you, Father, for the fact that we're here and understanding these things. Uh, uh, now, as we live and breathe, uh, we thank you for Jesus who has blazed the trail and that he is the one telling us all of these uh, fantastic things about who we are, what your plans are. Father, we, we pray for those of us who are here. We pray for Word is Truth Christian Church that we continue to be uh, a place where we can come and talk about these important matters. That we can talk about the deep things of God and allow you to continue to lead and guide us into all truth. These things we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Amen. Amen.